0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the College Unlocked podcast, where we are here to demystify the college application and college admission processes. We're your hosts, Alice and Jordana, and we're going to go ahead and help you unlock your college potential.
1: Let's get started.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the College Unlocked podcast. Today we are going to be talking about cost of attendance, financial aid, scholarships, how to you know make college an affordable option um, given the rising price of attendance. Now, one thing I will say um, is that this is not going to be a very specific family by family um, you know, description of all things financial aid, right? We are here to provide general information. Every single family's situation and circumstances look different. So if you have questions about the cost of attendance at the specific schools you are looking at, the best resource for you will be each individual school's Office of Financial Aid. But this is going to be a general overview. Okay. Uh, So we're going to start off with defining different types of aid um, and money that students might see or might receive with their admission to the schools on their list we're going to talk about what is need-based financial aid and what is merit scholarship what are the differences Um, need-based financial aid comes from filing two forms sometimes two um, definitely one but sometimes there's an additional form as well to each individual school on your list so that they can see what is a reasonable amount based on those forms um, that the family is able to contribute towards the cost of attendance. So need-based financial aid is granted to students who qualify um, for financial need based on the FAFSA, the Free Application for Federal Student Aid. It is a document submitted to the government and then uh, disbursed to the schools that you've applied to. And then the other form that some schools might require is called the CSS Profile. The CSS Profile is organized by the College Board and it is institution by institution. So not every single college or university requires the CSS, but every school should be taking the FAFSA, okay? Um, Both of those together, for the schools that look at both in tandem, um, will be used to determine what is called the Estimated Family Contribution or EFC. This is the number that the schools think is a reasonable amount that a family can contribute towards the cost of education. And that is usually around $20,000 more than what the family thinks that is a reasonable amount to contribute to the cost of education. Okay. Um, Those forms should be filed as often as the schools require, which is usually once a year, um, at least for the FAFSA, because if there is ever a change in family financial circumstance, schools want to be aware of those changes in the event they can award any additional money towards the cost of attendance okay that aid might look like a grant from the institution it might look like a federal grant like the pell grant um it might look like loans it might look like something called work study um there are a few different ways that aid can be awarded through the need-based qualifications okay um just as another note this is being recorded in the spring of 2023, the FAFSA is actually going to be opening a little bit later in this fall cycle than it has previously. The FAFSA historically has opened around October 1st, but in 2023, they will be opening not until December. So it is important to be aware of when those forms open and submit them by the priority deadlines of each individual institution.
1: It is possible for this year and this year only, if you're applying early decision or early action, and they want to be able to provide a financial package to you based on financial need versus merit which we're going to talk about in a minute that you may have to for this year only fill out the css profile for schools that normally do not require it if you want to be considered for a financial need if you're applying either early decision or early action
0: yes and that's because the delay in the fafsa form is going to cause a delay in the schools getting that financial information piece back to you as the student and so they might be requiring additional supplemental information in order to paint the picture of what the financial package might look like, right? Um, and that's a great point. So for schools that don't normally require the CSS profile, if you're thinking about applying early decision, pay attention to what those requirements are come the fall, because in order for you to get the full picture of the financial um, commitment to the institution, you're gonna need to submit the documents that you know are, are required on behalf of the institution.
1: There might also be just institutional documents that are going to be required and we just don't know what those are yet uh so stay tuned
0: yeah um, and so make sure that you are, are filling out everything that is required um, and again what documents are going to be required is going to be dependent on the institution also the family right um there are some documents that only students of divorced parents need to fill out or um students who have Parents who might work at a school might have different forms they need to fill out. So just pay attention to what each individual institution is asking and get those in on. time. OK, now we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about merit scholarship and athletic scholarships. Scholarships, rather than need based financial aid, is money that students have earned through the application process or through their athletic skills and talents. OK, this has and enough- also
1: be referred to as tuition discounting.
0: Um, And this has nothing to do with a family's income or what their assets look like or how much you've saved for college. This has to do solely with the applicant themselves and what they are bringing to the table in the way of their um, academic records, test scores potentially, um, and athletic skills as it relates to their recruiting efforts for college, okay? Um, This is essentially free money that the institution is giving applicants Uh, who recognize the work that they've put in to develop those skills, both inside and outside of the classroom, um, in the event of academic-based scholarships and athletic scholarships, uh, and how they want to reward students in their applicant pool for that, okay? These can range anywhere from, depending on the institution, from $1,000 renewable for four years, all the way up to what is covering the full cost of tuition. Tuition is different than fully loaded or a full ride, okay? Full ride would include things like room and board, additional fees, books, potentially even travel expenses to and from the campus. Tuition is just the amount of money that is being charged to a family strictly for taking credits, just the classroom cost. Okay, So scholarships, again, can range from $1,000 per year, renewable for four years, all the way up to a full tuition, Okay, depending on the school, depending on how much money they can give, depending on where you fall in the applicant pool, Um, All of those things. All right. Um, Typically, merit scholarships are given to, you know, the upper potentially 10 to 30 percent of the applicant pool, again, depending on the school, depending on how much money they have to give, and all of those other factors. All right.
1: Let's be clear about a couple of things, though. Ivy League schools do not give merit based aid. They give only financial need. There are a few little scholarships that they may give out the, so that's a big one is you're not going to get married. You're not going to get married at the Ivies, It's only financial need. The second myth is the full athletic scholarship. There are some sports, football being one that comes up, I believe basketball. So that are full scholarships for certain for a certain amount of the pool of the athletes. It's not for every single one. And certainly if you walk on, you're unlikely to get it. The biggest thing that most people don't understand is for non, what I call non-revenue sports. Typically that's gonna be track and field, baseball, uh, softball, um, gymnastics, maybe. They have what they call equivalency scholarships. So they might say, we're gonna offer out of a team of 32 on a baseball team, four full scholarships. That does not mean that four people will necessarily get a full scholarship. They may take that four and divide it up 32 ways and everybody gets one eighth of a scholarship so it is very common that parents will come to me and say you know my kid's gonna fill in the blank of whatever non-revenue sport and you know we're gonna get a full ride it typically does not work that way um, on there so that's something that people need to understand also and to check out as they're looking at that sport and seeing is it an equivalency sport is it a full ride sport like how does that work
0: If you are looking at schools that award merit scholarship based on the applicant's um, profile and statistics, so GPA, rigor of curriculum, test scores, extracurriculars, all of those things, it is important to understand that again, there is no standardization on behalf of the colleges. Some schools will automatically consider applicants who just apply to the university for merit scholarship. There are no additional steps required at some institutions to be considered. At other institutions, there are separate application materials such as essays, separate questionnaire you might need to fill out. There might also be a separate application deadline, right? So I know the University of Southern California, for example, they just implemented this past cycle for the first time ever in early action round. They did say that if students wanted to be considered for any merit scholarship, they needed to have applied for that early action round. Now it's non binding of course, um, but if you were to apply for their regular decision, chances of getting a merit scholarship pretty much none. Um, So you need to pay attention to what is required to be considered at some institutions, which might be an extra step or two, or um, those changing deadlines potentially depending on what schools you're looking at. Okay. Um, When it comes to money, um, chances are, and we can get into this a little bit in a few minutes as well, but chances are the best offer that you're going to get with merit scholarships will come at the time of admission. Okay. So. If you get a $10,000 scholarship renewable for four years, you were really hoping to get $15,000. Most cases, those merit scholarships are non-negotiable. Um, and so...
1: The other thing know. important to note about that is those scholarships often come with a minimum GPA and a minute cr- minimum credit requirement. Correct. So you're stu- you need to pay attention to that as well. If you don't maintain that minimum GPA in your first year of college, you may lose that scholarship.
0: Yeah, and. You know, typically, if students are are earning a merit scholarship, they're not, the schools are not worried about students maintaining that GPA, but it is important to know the terms um, of those scholarship awards so that you can manage your time, manage your effort and energy effectively to keep that money that you've earned, okay? Um, We're also going to get into a little bit more on, on how to understand affordability and where colleges sort of come up with this estimated family contribution and where that money comes from.
1: So the estimated family contribution that a family, that a school is going to look for is kind of predicated on a couple of things. They're expecting that you have saved money. So prior income. So you've put some money away either in a 529 savings, some other way that you've got it. So there's money set aside. They're looking at approximately one third of that coming from that prior earnings. This is the one that usually gets most folks. They're expecting it to come from one third from your current earnings and one third to come from your future income. So if you're looking at a school, that charges $60,000 a year. Good luck finding one of those. That's um, not a state school. Uh, they're, they, in general, their mindset, and this is very loose, generalized, but it's a good way for you to kind of figure out what you're going to need. $20,000 of that for each year should have come from savings. So if you're looking at four years, you should have a minimum of $80,000 put aside. $20,000 a year should come from current income. And the reason why they figure that is when your student was living at home, you had to pay for food, you had to pay for clothing, you had to pay for a percentage of the rent. Now, granted, your rent probably doesn't go down because you have that, but this is the thinking of what they did. That student cost you money to live at the house. So they're assuming that there's some improvement in your current net income related to that student. So they're expecting you to come with $20,000 from that current income per year. And then, of course, you'll, if you've been paying attention, that's only forty thousand dollars. So they expect the other twenty thousand dollars or another eighty thousand dollars to come from future income that can be a combination of parent loans or student loans. So that's roughly when you start thinking about what you are going to be paying a school, that's kind of how they're thinking about it. Um, and as Jordana mentioned earlier, you know, typically what we find that parents think they can afford. And what the school thinks they can afford, that delta is about $20,000. They actually think usually it's about $20,000 more. So this is where a lot of surprises come in is parents assume that that, that the college is going to finance whatever gap is perceived either from the family or through the college calculation to do that. They are not obligated to do that, right? They could, give you a, they could offer you a loan. They could tell you to take a parent loan, find your own sources of income. So I think it's important that you understand that When you're looking at a a dollar number, that's kind of what they're thinking of in that loose formula. Obviously, your mileage may vary, but that gives you a great, great start with that. The other thing that I hear a lot, um, we're privileged to be able to work with a lot of families of means. So they'll say to us, you know, money isn't an object. And I even hear this for families that that really can't afford that, but they feel it's necessary to say that money isn't an object. And what I find is that's absolutely true until March of the senior year when the offers come in. Money is no object until it is. And what I mean by that is it. you say money's no object. I want them to go to the best school. We'll figure out a way to make it happen. But then what happens is maybe that second or third choice school comes in with a really substantial offer. Um, probably one of the best cases I can think of this is I had a student who um, their first choice was Boston College. Their second choice was George Washington. Boston College came through with no money. Um, George Washington came in with $20,000 a year. Their cost of attendance was relatively the same. And so that was an $80,000 decision difference overall in that. All of a sudden, that parents who said money was no object, guess what? Money was an object and George Washington began to look a lot more appealing than Boston College. Uh, I said something really important there I want to take a second to talk about. And that is total cost of attendance and what the difference is. Everyone wants to look at, oh, I got a $20,000 scholarship or a $15,000 scholarship or whatever the number is. That number is irrelevant if it doesn't bring the cost of attendance competitively with other schools. So an $80,000 a year school that offers you $30,000, their net price, that cost of attendance is $50,000. A $60,000 school that offers you $5,000 is a $55,000 a year. So you, you have to really look at what the net price is. Without loans, in order to figure out what is the correct number for your family that you need to look at. So, a recap of this is money is no object until it is. It's okay to tell your students that money needs to be something we consider. I mean, I would love to drive a Porsche, but my Honda works really well because that's what we can afford in our family. It's okay to say that we can only afford what we can afford. Um, that those schools typically will give a great education. So it's not a question of a great education. It's really a question of understanding what you should do. Parents, what you should not be doing is going into your um, retirement accounts or jeopardizing your current household or jeopardizing your current financial stability in order to do this. So if you need to have that hard conversation with your student and say, um, you know, yes, we can afford $90,000 a year, but at what cost? It would mean, you know, dad and I not being re- able to retire or, as early. It would mean having to make significant sacrifice. I'm not talking about, you know, buying that Honda instead of a Porsche. I'm talking about, you know, having to really curtail your eating uh, and even eating choices of food. Then you need to really seriously consider whether it's the right thing to be able to do with it. The other question I tend to get from family of means is we don't need the money. Should we still fill out the fafsa and this is where it's really important to understand which schools you are looking at Um, some schools and it changes year by year so we're not going to provide a list today but some schools will say if you ever want to get any aid from us in the future you must fill out the fafsa and the css profile if it's a school css profile in that first year so that we have on record where you're at this is to prevent families from gaming the system paying for the first year and then showing that they qualify the schools haven't budgeted for that they need to know up front so they're asking you to fill it up up front so one is to be able to make sure that you understand that the other is for merit aid there are a small number of schools that will require you to fill out that paperwork in order to get that and the last one is a great transition into our next topic about students having skin in the game and that is in order to take those federal loans that your student is eligible to do The only way to do that is if you and the student have filled out the FAFSA to be able to do that. So both for Parent PLUS loans and for those student loans, you'll need to be able to fill out the FAFSA going forward.
0: In one other part on, you know, asking if you should fill out the FAFSA, even if you don't think you get anything, you should also look at your state rules. Uh, We're here in California and this past application cycle, it was newly implemented that regardless of family income, regardless of where the students located in the state of California. If they were graduating from a California high school, they needed to have filed the FAFSA or submitted a waiver through their high school. Um, and that was a state law implemented here. So just check that you are crossing all of your T's and dotting your I's when it comes to doing not only what the schools are asking you to do, but also what your state is asking you to do in order to graduate from high school, okay? Um, but yes, in order to allow students to have a little bit of responsibility and skin in their own game and their own education. Um, they are absolutely you know, considered for loans when they file the FAFSA. Um, the amount that students are able to take from federal loans is dependent on their year in college. So first year students, I believe they're eligible to take um, 5,500. Yep, their first year, um, 6,500, their second year, year year. uh, second and third year and then is it 7500
1: their fourth
0: year um so those are the maximum caps of what students are eligible to take in their own name towards their education in the way of federal student loan okay Uh, uh,
1: that's what they're allowed to take if the parent is financially qualified whether the parent chooses to participate or not and financially qualified is a much lower credit rating than you would find for almost any other thing that's done they really make it eligible to to do that um important thing to note is if your student does not have a subsidized loan which would be a certain income level an unsubsidized loan which is what most of students are going to be given the interest starts to accrue six months after the first distribution so that fifty five hundred dollars would be broken up into twenty two fifty a semester and as soon as that twenty two fifty is uh, disperse, which would be typically the week before or the week school starts, six months from that date, interest starts to accrue. That interest will continue to accrue all the way through until six months after graduation, which is when payments start. Interest continues to accrue, but then you can start to pay. Now, here's a little trick that we did when our kids were in school and that I highly recommend our families do, if you can afford it, is pay that interest as it, each semester or once a year. You can even do it once a year to pay it while the student is still in college. Therefore, when they've graduated, the amount of their loans is still just the amount of the original loan origination and not accumulated interest on top of that. So, compounded interest doesn't kick in then until six months after graduation.
0: Yeah, Um, and so if you know this is a family decision that you are comfortable making and having your student have a little bit of responsibility, it is okay to you know go through the process and accept those loans if you decide that you. Are not comfortable doing that again. Totally within your right as a family decision to make, um, but there are other, you know, things to consider when it comes to having your student, you know, be responsible to some extent for their own education. Right. This keeps students accountable for going to class because financial aid packages um, are, you know, tallied and accounted for first day of class when they make sure that your student has their booty in a seat um, and is actually there taking their classes, and so making sure that you are. Um, holding that responsibility and giving your student a little bit of responsibility is okay too. Um, the other thing you need to be mindful of and aware of is if you do not take federal student loans, um, that, that looking very closely at private loans, if that's something you're considering, is also something that you need to be aware of. Private loans are not always advantageous for students and their families. So if you are weighing the options of federal loans or private loans, um, just make sure that you're taking a second look at the benefits of a federal loan versus the the stipulations of a private loan, because they are not equal.
1: They are legal documents in any case, so it's important to note that. There are lots of other ways, by the way, for a student to have skin in the game beyond taking a loan. Um, there's work-study, and you do not have to be an eligible work-study student to apply for a work-study job or a work job on campus, is, I guess. Is, is there's work study, which is a specific financial aid, but you can also apply for a job on campus, which can be working in the admissions office, working in the cafeteria, working through uh, residence life. And you can work as a paid employee of residence life, or if you're, and these are coveted competitive jobs, if you are able to get a job as a residence advisor, then you're, some schools will cover room and board, some will only cover your room, some will cover a stipend. They're all different, again, to look into that. An important thing to note about any of these is how they may affect the financial aid package that you've been given. Some schools will stack. In other words, they'll give you your ten dollars or $20,000 a year merit aid, your $10,000 of financial aid. And if you're able to be an RA, they will go ahead and let you have that as well and keep all that money. Other schools will start clawing back money. Uh, mostly they start with institutional aid before they do federal aid to do that. So you could actually end up with the same net, but working the same hard amount. So you really need to look and see what are the different ways that your students can make money to that. Um, I had one, one of my kids worked as an RA. Um, he had room and board. The other one did two jobs. So, uh, you know, it's, it's different for everything. And that kind of skin in the game is also good in order to be able to do that as well.
0: And last but not least here, um, there can be money that can come from other places beyond just an institution or need based financially. There are lots of different third party scholarships that exist. One of the things that we typically find, though, is that they are um, rigorous application processes that require a lot of work on behalf of the student for a minimal one time payment. So while money is money and certainly can benefit the cost of attendance for students. Um, you need to weigh the opportunity cost in the way of your time and effort to put those applications together for what the payout might look like right if it's a thousand dollars per year that's definitely going to be you know a closer look to to see if that's worthwhile than a one-time 500 scholarship so do your due diligence on what makes sense for you as an applicant or the family of an applicant um, when it comes to scholarships that are beyond just what the institutions might offer A good place to look is going to be um, your school's counseling office they're going to have you know more resources Um, there are other opportunities through um, you know some of the schools might offer opportunities as well so do your due diligence to take a look at what's out there but know that college doesn't have to be something that puts you into boatloads of debt there are affordable options but every single family situation is different so This is an important part of the school research process. It's an important part of the application process. Dates, deadlines, and requirements are super important and again, vary school by school. So uh, there are people here to help. There are, you know, your school counselor also can help you understand what's needed. Um, The schools also have financial aid offices and that's gonna be the best resource. I also want to quickly just mention that admissions offices and financial aid offices in most cases are two different things.
1: So, I can tell yeah. you were a financial aid. I mean, you were an admissions officer. <laughs> yeah,
0: um, and so asking the admissions officer um, details about the CSS profile, about the FAFSA, about what goes into formulating you know a financial aid package. They are not in, in most cases not going to be the expert looking at those documents, but the financial aid offices are going to be you know much more. Um, detailed in what they're able to share with students so know that you have you know both of those resources to ask questions admissions for application related questions financial aid offices or um, you know all of the things that come with affordability and cost of attendance
1: i think the other thing to mention about that is admission think of this way admissions should be driven by the student mom and dad you should never be calling the admissions office however it is appropriate for for a mom or dad or a parent of, of, of whoever's your guardian to be involved in the financial aid portion of it. And I think that's where we can draw a distinction after admissions of going into the financial aid office. I want to end with this. I'll sometimes I get parents say to me, we got $5,000 from College A and only $3,000 from College B. Can we call College A and negotiate? The answer is yes, you can, but do not expect that to happen unless it is a number of things. A peer institution, um, equivalent in price, And understand that the most common answer to that will be no. So, yes, you can ask. You can't demand. You can ask, but do not expect to receive that. Um, And that should, again, be done through the financial aid office and not the admissions office.
0: Most schools don't price match. Um,
1: Yeah, so this is not not the price match place to go. It's not Walmart. Get
0: comfortable hearing no if you are going to be requesting money. But, yeah, you you certainly can't ask, but get comfortable hearing the word no from the schools. Uh, But anyway, hopefully you, you know, learned something new about financial aid and got that sort of 10,000 foot overview. Um, If you have questions or if there are specific topics that you want to hear about in future episodes, leave a a comment or reach out to us at collegeunlock.com. We look forward to sharing more with you next time and we'll see you then. Bye bye. Thank you so much for tuning in to the College Unlocked podcast. For more information on College Unlocked and our services as independent educational consultants, please visit us at collegeunlocked.com. Thank you, and we'll see you next time.